0: Thanks everyone uh, for joining us. I'm pleased to be here this afternoon with Minister of Indigenous Relations, Rick Wilson, Chief Cody Thomas of Enoch Cree Nation, and Shanna Martineau, CEO of the Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation. I often say that Alberta's government is laser focused on economic growth and job creators in our province, and our efforts to attract investment to Alberta have a record of success that proves that and that's true of every industry, including energy. Markets across the globe want cleaner energy sources to reduce emissions and Alberta can deliver them. Getting Alberta energy to global markets will lift the standards of living of of billions of people who live in different degrees of energy poverty, but we will not be doing this alone. Indigenous participation and leadership is vital to these projects. It's a critical piece of working towards economic reconciliation. In Alberta, we are, are proud to encourage and facilitate Indigenous participation through the Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation. Historically, Indigenous peoples have been overlooked and underserved in our economy, but we are determined to change that. In 2019, we created the Alberta Indigenous Opportunity Corporation with a loan guarantee capacity of $1 billion. This past spring, during the election campaign, we committed to at least double the AIOC's loan guarantee capacity to $2 billion. Today, I am very pleased to announce that we are expanding the Alberta Indigenous Opportunity Corporation's loan guarantee capacity to $3 billion. We are tripling the level of support this Crown Corporation can provide. This is about Alberta continuing to lead the country in economic and social reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. Our goal in creating a corporation was to backstop Indigenous investment in major projects for the purpose of creating enduring streams of revenue for their communities. By providing loan guarantees, the AOC helps to increase the amount of money that Indigenous businesses and communities can borrow while also reducing the cost of borrowing. This empowers Indigenous communities to invest in major economic development projects, not just in energy, but also major agriculture, telecommunications, transportation, and related infrastructure. Over the past four years, AOC has supported more than $500 million worth of investments, benefiting nearly 30 Indigenous communities across our province. Earlier this month, we raised the AOC cap to $2 billion, effective immediately, and that cap will rise again to $3 billion in 2024-25. The level of investment support the AIOC offers was already unparalleled in Canada, and now we are unleashing even more potential. And Alberta is determined to continue to find new ways to expand Indigenous participation in the economy and empower First Nations and Métis communities to be our partners in prosperity. Rick and Shanna, thank you so much to both of you for your diligent work and your passion. I'm really looking forward to seeing all the exciting investments the AIOC will be able to support in the future. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Minister Rick Wilson to elaborate on our work here. Minister.
1: Thank you, Premier Smith, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us, Shanna, and uh, Chief Cody Thomas, as well. I'm so delighted that this increases the level of support for the AIOC and what it can provide to low-risk loan guarantees. The potential is tremendous, and this builds on the incredible work that Shanna and the AIOC have already done to support Indigenous investment. You know, they just closed a deal that provided a $103 million loan guarantee to five Indigenous communities making it possible for them to acquire a 43% stake in the Access NGL pipeline system. And just last year, the AIOC backstopped one of the largest Indigenous energy investments ever, a deal worth more than $1 billion. These loan guarantees come at no cost to government, thanks to the AIOC's rigorous review process. We've got a lot of projects getting ready to take off, and I'm looking forward to more major announcements in the very near future. As the Premier mentioned, the AAOC is breaking down barriers. The Federal Indian Act doesn't enable First Nations to use their land as collateral. Now this makes it very difficult and hard for them to borrow money for some of these projects. Provi- by providing these loan guarantees, the AAOC helps create those opportunities that didn't exist before. And boy has it ever made a game changer for Indigenous economic inclusion. Including Indigenous people in every level of the economy is a huge part of our push towards economic reconciliation. Economic reconciliation is a vital way to support healthy, safe, and sustainable indigenous communities. It's about improving social outcomes through economic growth. It's about creating good jobs, and it's about enhancing livelihoods. Now we're doing that through many partner programs, and we've increased the momentum this year. With budget 2023, we expanded what we call the ABIF program, it's our Aboriginal Business Investment Fund, by 50%. thus increasing its annual grant funding from $5 million to $7.5 million. This program gives money to Indigenous businesses and organizations for important development projects. Since 2014, it's supported more than 75 projects and created more than 650 permanent jobs. We also created the Indigenous Reconciliation Initiative and the Community Support Fund, two new grant programs for this year. Between these two programs, we're providing $7 million a year in grants to support community-led projects that are gonna make a huge difference. And we also have the First Nations Development Fund, we call the FNDF. Now this takes money from government-owned slot machines in First Nations casinos and gives it right back to those communities. In 23-24 alone, the FND is expected to provide over $150 million to support economic and social development projects across 47 First Nations. We're fully committed to being partners in prosperity with Indigenous people, and I'm always encouraged by the amazing projects that come out of these initiatives. I know big things are on the horizon, particularly now that we're expanding AOSC's capacity. Shanna uh, shares our enthusiasm for economic reconciliation, and I know her and her team will continue to support exciting new opportunities for Indigenous communities. So I'd like to invite Shanna now, the CEO. CEO of the AIOC, to the podium.
2: Thank you, Premier Smith, Minister Wilson, and welcome, Chief Cody. This truly is a historic day. I am honored to stand before you today to highlight the transformational impact that the AIOC Loan Guarantee Program has provided for Indigenous communities in our province. Since 2019, in four short years, we have helped 27 Indigenous communities invest over $500 million in large-scale infrastructure projects in our province. The benefits from these programs directly impact over 61,000 people. Today is about empowering Indigenous communities. It's about making their aspirations and economic independence a reality. The increased benefits the, these increased investments benefit all Albertans. They fuel economic growth, innovation, and job creation, contributing to the overall prosperity of our province. It's about building a stronger, more inclusive, more prosperous Alberta for everyone. Just over one year ago, as the Minister mentioned, AIOC supported 23 First Nation and Métis communities to buy just over 11% of the Enbridge trunkline assets. It was a monumental transaction, and the world took notice. Jurisdictions from across Canada and around the globe are reaching out to find out how we are bringing reconciliation to life. Our momentum is accelerating. More and more corporations are seeing the tremendous value of truly partnering with their Indigenous neighbors, sharing the benefits and the risks of their projects. Due to restrictions in the Indian Act, These partnerships would not be possible without a government loan guarantee. With over half of our initial $1 billion loan guarantee allocation already deployed, and hopefully more to come, Minister, just a little bit more patience, I am thrilled with the announcement that the province has made to increase our loan capacity to $3 billion, an unprecedented move to be sure. Our loan guarantee program is already nationally and globally leading and we are taking another huge step forward here today. This increase is a tangible commitment to creating a brighter future for all Albertans. Alberta is leading the way with a focus on sustainability and responsible resource development, benefiting not just our generation, but those to come. We are building a stronger Alberta together. Now I will call on Chief Cody to come and say a few words.
3: Hi, Cody Thomas, Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. It is a profound honour to stand before you today. I'm elated by the recent expansion of loan capacity provided by Alberta's government to the Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation, AIOC. This milestone represents a significant step towards realizing the principles set forth by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and its 94 calls to action. Since its inception in 2019, the AIOC has been a transformative force for Indigenous communities across our province. It has opened the door to remarkable opportunities in economic development and Indigenous engagement through its support of loan guarantees. In 2020, Enoch Cree Nation, along five alongside five other First Nations, played a pivotal role in the 1.5 billion Cascade Power Project. This partnership was made possible through the AIOC loan guarantee, allowing us to actively participate in the game-changing initiative. Projects like the Cascade Power Power empower Indigenous communities with newfound opportunities and financial versatility, enabling us to reinvest in our communities, such as Involvement in Paramount, as it not only benefit, benefits the current generation, but also paves the way for prosperity among our descendants. These initiatives stimulate economic growth, foster job creation, nurture innovation, cultivate generational wealth, which in turn enriches every very facet of our province. I extend my heartfelt congratulations to the Alberta Government, the AIOC for their extraordinary commitment to this expansion. Potential for Indigenous inclusion in the economy is boundless, filling me with optimism for our people's future. These transformative agreements usher in diversity and boundless opportunity for Indigenous communities. Reconciliation is a journey of concrete actions. And from an economic perspective, this expansion represents a substantial stride towards a brighter future for our people. I applaud the AIOC for their remarkable work since the program's inception and eagerly anticipate the prospects and opportunities accompanying accompanying this monumental expansion. My gratitude goes goes out to Premier Daniel Smith and my esteemed friend, uh, Minister Wilson, for their unwavering collaboration with Indigenous peoples and driving meaningful and impactful change for our province. To all of, to all of you gathered here today, I am genuinely, genuinely thrilled about the potential that lies ahead. Together, we can forge a more equitable and prosperous future for all. Hi hi.
1: Thank you.
3: And we'll now enter our media Q
0: and A portion. Um, we'll start off with our questions here in the room, and we'll be taking one question, one follow-up. If I can see those hands up again. <laughs> and we'll start off with Janet here. Uh, I think this
2: is for the minister. So if the investment thus far has used $500 million with a loan guarantee, I mean, initially there was a billion available, now it's bumping up to $3 billion. why do you require that additional capacity if the first allotments have not been used?
1: Great, Great question. And uh, when we first started this off, you know, there, there was some trepidation that this was even going to work, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it, it took some time to get the buy-in from uh, across the problems from the First Nations and Métis communities. And once we got, like the chief said, the first Cascade project out the door, all of a sudden people were reading, well, oh, this is real, and we, the, the project started coming in. They're vetting over 100 projects right now at the AIOC office and some have been in the works for over a year. So as these projects are being vetted and we see that they're good projects and viable projects because we want to make sure that they, they're going to make money for the groups out there, then they're going to start coming forward. So you're going to see a lot of projects coming forward that have been in the, in the hopper for quite some time now. And it's just at that stage now where these projects are coming forward, so that's why we need the extra funding.
2: Thank you, Minister. That's a great explanation. I would also add just um, to the Minister's comment that um, we're starting to get questions, will you have enough? Because there are a number of projects in in, in queue, I'll call it, maybe yep. in the hopper um, cooking might be another analogy. Um, but taking nine months or a year to bring these monumental transactions forward means that companies are planning today for a year from now and they're worried knowing that their competitors and others and, and the communities are looking at worthy worthy projects. Will you have enough? Do we want to invest that time and that energy in a potential transaction that there might not have enough um, allocation available? And so the province is saying, we're here, we're committed, we are prepared to do these projects long-term. Sending a strong signal. Hmm. I have a follow-up for Shanna. Am oh, I, I saying that right? Yes, Shanna. Um, so... Um, you know, there's been a lot of, when this program has been promoted by politicians, we hear a lot about, well, it's going to result in, you know, kickbacks, investment into First Nations communities, and social programs. Do you have any figures on how much money has been reinvested or, or earned back by First Nations who took advantage of these loan guarantees to start a project? So you have to know that the projects are streaming on as we speak, and, and Cascade isn't quite there yet, um, What I can say, we have to be careful about what we say because a lot of this is confidential, right? But um, I would say starting in 2024, we're projecting, and these are always dependent on revenues and um, different uh, factors, over $25 million a year annually will be going into Indigenous communities. And that's projected over the next 30 years. And that's just from transactions done to date. Um, We expect north of $1.2 billion to be flowing into Indigenous communities in our province from the deals done to date. Now, there are a number of factors that go in there, um, and any good investment banking professional would give you a big caveat around those numbers, but those are projections. So it's it's significant revenue. But when I also want to say drive around our First Nations communities. Um, I, I sit out every day on Chief Cody's nation and their communities and it's in and they're an advanced nation gravel roads in their neighborhoods they still need many many services and there are many communities that have been sorely underfunded so when i talk about north of 25 million dollars going into communities in alberta that's just barely catching them up that's just getting them the basic necessities correct then we'll go to our next question we'll go to lisa and then we'll go to manuel <laughs> Sorry, just wanted, for you, Shanna. Uh, the last time I heard from you, was, that number was $511 million? It It is 511 million deployed That's right five now. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, $511 million of loan guarantees have been deployed.
1: Okay. Yeah, uh, for Premier Smith. Um, about an hour ago, Cosmo announced that Sask Energy will stop collecting the carbon
3: tax on natural gas as of January 1st. Will Alberta follow suit?
0: Well, that's the benefit of having a crown corporation. Um, Sask Energy is a wholly owned crown corporation of the Saskatchewan government, so I believe he has the latitude to do that. We are a private market, and so um, we, we we don't have that possibility. But that's the reason why the federal government has to create tax fairness. They have to they have to put a reprieve on the carbon tax on all home heating in all provinces on all sources of heating. Otherwise, you're you're going to see. The, these kinds of actions taken by the provinces who can. And we're, we're all Canadian. We're all suffering from the uh, the same acceleration in the cost, the same pressures during winter. And so I, I hope that the Prime Minister does the right thing. And if he was prepared to give an exemption on one type of home heating oil that benefited one region of the country, he should he should give it to everyone. So
1: will you work with uh, private energy providers to stop the from
0: um, You know what? Mo acknowledged that what he was doing probably wasn't in keeping with the law. He acknowledged that. Um, I watched his three-minute video, and he said he wouldn't normally feel like he was pressed to do that because we do have a Supreme Court decision that does give the federal government the power to set a um, a federal carbon price. And um, it's the federal government, I think, who's not living up to the spirit of what they said to do. And I, I, just, I wouldn't ask our, our private sector operators to be in a position where I'm asking them to be out of compliance with the law. I would just prefer for the federal government to do the right thing and give a reprieve across the board in all provinces, all fuel types for the winter. And then, and then our, our preference would be to get rid of the retail carbon tax altogether and start working with us in industry to reduce emissions in a different way and transition to different fuels because it's not the choice of Alberta um, citizens. I mean, that's the that's the only option they really have is home heating by natural gas. It's just getting increasingly punitive. So I would hope that the prime minister would do the right thing and acknowledge that, rather than allow for uh, these pockets of inequality to to to, to uh, crop up all over the all over the country. Perfect. And we're going to go to the phones here for a couple of questions, and come back to the Rune operator. Could you put through our first caller, please? I
1: think the first caller is Terry Tate, Globe and Mail.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my question. Premier, I'm wondering, um, the last question, if there's a way that the Sovereignty Act can be deployed
0: to um, follow suit with the statuens? Well, the the Supreme Court has already rendered a judgment on this. The Supreme Court in 2021 said that the federal government does have the right to set a floor price. Now, I I guess the only thing that we could do, and I uh, have asked... um, For us to take a a look at this. If the federal government isn't living up to the the commitment of setting a single price across the country for everyone, then uh, perhaps they're not living up to the spirit of what the court determined. And uh, maybe that decision needs to have a revisit. But um, look, I respect respect the court uh, decisions. It's why we go to the Supreme Court. We look at them as the final adjudicator on these kinds of disputes. But I think that the federal government Um, is the one who's who's, uh, not acting in good faith here. They're they're pitting one region against another and one type of heating fuel against another, and it's just not fair, and I think Canadians see that.
2: Mm Premier, you said you've asked for us to take a look at this. What do you mean, who have you asked, and what what precisely are you asking them to look at?
0: Well, when I first raised the question with my officials about whether we could challenge the carbon tax, I was told that the Supreme Court doesn't normally... Uh, look at a, a judgment unless 10 years have passed by. But I guess the question I would have is if it's now – now have a schedule that wasn't available at the time the court made the decision that's going up to $170 per ton. We're already seeing pain at $65 per ton. And we're seeing that the federal government isn't even living up to its own legislation, which they went to court to argue why they should have the mandate to do it in the first place. So if you're going to have a federal government asserting that they have to have this power so everybody is treated equally, And then they don't treat everyone equally. It seems to me that that's something we should go back to the court and ask them whether or not uh, they want to reconsider whether this is an appropriate use of the federal power. So we we do have retained a a law firm that helped us win, C-69, and so we'll be asking them in the coming days whether there is an appetite to be able to, to challenge it now with this new information. But I would rather this have a political solution. I would rather the federal government accept that if this is a painful tax going into winter for Atlantic Canadians, it's a painful tax going into the winter for everyone, and just make sure that he does the right thing and takes the tax off for all types of home heating in every province. Thanks, Kerry. We'll go to our next caller here. Operator, could you please put them through?
1: Ron pulse Western Standard.
3: Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, going back to the... Um, Indigenous loan guarantees, um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline perhaps coming up uh, and I know some groups have expressed an interest in investing in it and I'm wondering if that's a kind of a project that would be eligible for these kinds of uh, grants and, and in guarantees or whether that would be a separate standalone thing.
0: I I can tell you that I I have met with the federal finance minister, Krista Freeland, and I offered her our expertise. If they want to set up a similar type of program at the federal level, I think they've indicated that they would like to do that, sort of a national indigenous opportunities corporation. And because we have had success, um, we'd be standing by prepared to assist them in in structuring a, a program so that they can do something likewise. Um, but we, we stand ready to, to assist in, in whichever way possible. Um, but at the at the moment, we have to make sure that the project gets to the finish line, which I think it will by the end of March is what it's looking like. And then uh, we, we'll, we'll assist um, with in any way that the, the federal government um, would like us to, to make sure that they get a, a portion of Indigenous participation in that project. We think that's important.
3: Is this something that... Um... Alberta can take the lead on, or do we pretty much have to sit back and wait uh, for the federal government to decide what they're going to do and whether they're going to actually divest uh, their share and or how much of it?
0: You know, I'll maybe get Shanna to talk about that. The the issue is, of course, that we're not just contemplating uh, Alberta First Nations, which uh, we're more than happy to work with, but it's also British Columbia First Nations, and there's significantly more British Columbian First Nations as well. So I think we've we've established this program in order to be able to help um, Indigenous communities here. And so I I don't know if it's in the program parameter to help Indigenous
2: communities in other provinces. I can leave that to Shanna to answer maybe. Thank you, Premier Smith. And I believe that you've answered that question really well. The one thing that I I do want to note is that um, the federal government owns the Trans Mountain asset right now. So when you own something, you control the disposition of it. And so until they're ready, um, you know, Alberta stands ready. And I think this announcement is a good indication that Alberta is ready to take the lead on projects supporting Alberta communities in these types of um, purchases. We have other uh, transactions in progress as well. So we are ready, um, but the federal government has got to be ready to sell. And that was all the
0: questions from the line. I'll come back in person. Do we
2: have any last few questions?
0: I might just say um, what I have talked to my colleagues at the cost table, and we're meeting again in Halifax in a couple of weeks, and I've also given that same offer to our premiers, that if they want to set something similar up for each province to be able to do the same as we've done here, we, we would be more than happy to share our expertise, because perhaps that's that um, would be the perfect solution, is if there was a BC Indigenous Opportunities Corp., an Alberta Opportunity, Indigenous Opportunities Corp. and a federal Indigenous Opportunities Corp. all working together to make sure that uh, the, uh, an appropriate amount of equity was, uh, was, was placed into Indigenous hands, um, and then would allow for us to work cross-border on more projects. So I'm advancing that at the at the cost table as well. And we'll take you as our last question, Julia.
2: Sure. Um, on a slightly unrelated topic, Premier, you've spoken out against economic withholding in our provincial electricity system saying, quote, I think too much power is being held back, prices are escalating too much, and we're all paying the price for it, end quote. As Albertans head into winter and prices for electricity remain high, will you eliminate economic withholdings during this legislative session? Uh,
0: that, that discussion will be part of the overall package of reforms that we put in place when the pause comes off, is that we, we have to make sure that uh, everybody is, is um, um, participating fairly in the market. And I think that we have seen, and I understand um, why economic withholding occurs, because when wind and solar come on strong at zero, they hold, certain companies hold back power until it gets to a certain rate so that they can then... Come in economically. I understand how the market works, but it's a backward market. It doesn't—it doesn't make much sense for it to 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 work that way, and it, and it gives perverse incentives. So the uh, the regulator did affirm that economic withholding was allowed. I think in a 2020 decision, and I think it was because up to that point, they hadn't seen any issues of uh, the market being distorted as a result of that. But ever since that decision, we've seen massive distortions in the market. And so I've already asked uh, Minister, uh, Minister Newdorf to be consulting on that and how we might remedy that. So that is going to be part of the package of reforms.
2: Um, at this time, do you see any downsides in eliminating it?
0: Well, the the problem that, that we have, and again, this is a, the strange way in which this market has been created. Part of having an energy-only market is that the players will say they have to have a higher rate for the same period of time to earn enough capital so that they can pay off their capital costs, have enough money to invest in new. And there was a discussion years ago about a capacity market, which would be allowing us to pay people for being on standby for us. Um, and the decision was made at that time not to go forward with that. But I think we're beginning to see the consequences of what happens when there isn't a mechanism to bring on new baseload power, Is that we don't end up with new baseload power, Uh, projects being proposed so that's what we're trying to fix in this whole process because in order to bring on more wind and solar we have to bring on more baseload they have to happen in tandem so that we're not facing power outages on our coldest days and our hottest days and so we need to make sure that we've created a market that allows for more of that baseload to come in and we don't have that right now so there's there's a number of things that need to be remedied and we'll have all of those answers by uh by by the end of february when the pause comes off Perfect. Thanks, Julia, and that'll conclude today's announcement. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, everyone.